You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, our lips are sealed about this week's fab fact. We are lost in time in the randomizer. Cut! Oh, that was perfect, but let's just get one more take with director Sam Clemens. Ooh. All coming up in Pod 194 of the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. I don't know why you're laughing at me, Richard what? James. <laughs> oh, I, it's just my default position, really. I just find you very amusing. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Anyway, I, I, I'm feeling much amused. Um, yeah, good. Uh, my name's Jamie Anderson. Uh, yes. And you are? Oh, well, I'm still Richard James. I are always you? will be. Yeah, as far as I'm aware. Well, that's an absolute shocker. Uh, now, over there... Mm-hmm. Well, what? You, what is he doing today? He's... What, who? Eh? Well, it seems that Chris... Uh, Chris Dale, that is. Uh, uh, sorry, yes. some of you may not be familiar with him. Is currently installing a Spectrum cloud-based style monitor in my kitchen. He is. What? Why is he doing that? Perhaps considering himself to be the Colonel White of this podcast. Uh, do you think? Uh, well, I mean, you know, he's got a good claim for that. I think. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know he'd be so handy with a screwdriver. I've got to say, but uh, it, I mean, it yeah. looks quite smart. It's quite large. Um, anyway, it is, perhaps isn't it? he'll be building a Colonel White style spinny control desk as well. Uh, before the end of this episode. Uh, Now, once Chris has finished with his Spectrum-style DIY, his uh, Mm. SIG DIY... um, Oh, yeah, Yeah, terrible. Uh, He'll be bringing us the randomizer, where he randomly watches a random episode of a random Jerry Anderson series uh, and gives you his uh, not-so-random, very considered, thoughtful, and quite amusing thoughts and comments. Uh, That'll be at the end of this podcast, but before then, we've got other stuff coming, and my colleague Richard James will take you through those things now. Well, I mean, we're really sort of treading water, aren't we, until the randomizer? That's all we're here for, really. <laughs> the Isn't treading just, water podcast. We're just, yeah, we're just marking yeah. time, aren't we, really, till the, uh, the, main, the main feature. That's why we don't have the randomizer first, because then people would just switch off and not listen to us. That's why we leave it till last. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, until the randomizer, you've got all this to sit through. Uh, we've got fab facts coming up in just a moment, of course, whereby uh, Jamie will be giving us a random fact from the Jerry Anderson universe, and it's up to me to decide if it's fab or not. Is it? Yes. Uh, we've got some newsy, news, news, newsy, news, news, news from the Jerry Anderson universe. Uh, I think we've got part two, Jamie, of your interview with a director, Sam Clements. Is that correct? Sam Clemens is back for part two. Yes. Hmm. Uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit less of a, uh, you know, legacy dad's cast this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> a bit more about the shows, but we do touch on more of it as well. So uh, and also I should say uh, last week. Lots of people tweeted me to say, of course your dad and Brian knew each other. Brian wrote several episodes of The Protectors. There we go. Well, there you go. There's evidence, if if, uh, ever there was, that one, I don't like or watch The Protectors. And Mm. uh, two, perhaps more importantly, that I I am not the expert in all things Anderson. Are you not? I'm just another bloke like, you know, like the rest of you out there. Oh, how disappointing. Uh, Well, it's it's pretty much true. The only thing is, you know, nepotism, really. uh, I just Ah. happen to be born in the right place at the right time. 
yeah. with the right yeah. dad. So, yeah. uh, but you thank go. you for, for your corrections and uh, for not admonishing me too severely. Yeah, people are very good at, uh, at uh, corrections, aren't they, on Twitter, oh, I've yes. noticed. Very, very yes, good. Yes, very handy. I've got a few myself coming up in this podcast, as oh, you'll see no. in a moment. Uh, because, of course, the uh, Podstrons have been getting in touch, and I'll be reading out their emails. They've been sending them in to podcast at jerryanderson.com. I'll be reading out their Facebook musings, which they've been leaving on our Facebook group. And I'll be uh, reading out some Twitterings and also some comments from our YouTube channel, too. So Ooh. all that coming up, uh, let alone the randomizer, which is about an hour away. I know, there's so much stuff. Yeah, isn't it? Every week, well, every blooming week. And there's a lot of there's a lot of news uh, this week as well. I think so. Oh, good. Uh, anyway, look, because there's so much to get through, should we just go straight in to fab facts? Oh, can't we just do a bit more uh, treading water? No, it's fab facts now. Oh, curses! Now, time for this week's fab facts. Here we go. I've got a book of right. fab facts, Richard James. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I know. This is the sound of my fingers tapping on the book of fab facts. Did you like that? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I do like normally that. Normally I yeah. slap it or flick it or whatever, but this yeah. time, finger tap. Anyway, the yeah. book of fab facts is rather large. It's uh, many hundreds of pages, in fact. And uh, I'm going to flick through it. Richard's going to shout fab at a random point, which will stop me flicking through, when I will hopefully happen upon a fab fact. Richard James... Are you prepared, primed and ready with your fab fab? I'm standing very by. <laughs> okay, here we go with the flicking. Fab! Ooh! Hmm? Well, bearing in mind that we've got the uh, Stingray Blu-ray release coming up, this is yes. most appropriate that you've oh, stopped right. us uh, in 1963-64. Now, Marina. Aquamarina. Yes. Yes. I mean, who doesn't like a bit of Marina? Well, obviously Troy Tempest. And uh, Chris Dale seems to get along with her as they voyage across yeah. the Andiverse for the randomizer. That's um, right. But she can be a bit terse at times, as we've regularly but So heard. can Chris, to be fair. Yeah, that is fair, yeah. Uh, but there is one person who really wasn't much of a fan of Marina at all. And that person may surprise you. Uh, oh. Marina, in case you don't know, in case you're not a Stingray fan, I mean, why are you listening if you're not a Stingray fan? But maybe you don't. Uh, Marina was the mysterious and beautiful wo- woman from under the sea who came to Troy Tempest's rescue in the very first episode of Stingray. She subsequently drew- joined the crew of Stingray uh, and took part in many adventures. Obviously, it's not very difficult to get into the World Aquanaut Security Patrol. Just be a random mermaid and you'll let in, no problem. <laughs> well, that's my motto for life, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's worked well for you so far. Anyway, yes. as Stingray progressed, she seemed to appear less and less. Of course, one famous trait that Marina possessed, besides the ability to breathe underwater with apparent immunity to pressure and temperature, mm-hmm. was her inability to speak. Yes. Now, it was her muteness that made her the bane of the life of director Alan Patillo. Although oh. Alan thought that the puppet looked fantastic... He found her silence to be a bit of a dramatic hindrance rather than an opportunity yeah. to tell stories that highlighted her uh, her disability, should we say. Mm-hmm. Certainly, uh, the struggle for the APF filmmakers was to tell an exciting story with puppet characters who were very limited in their ability to move and express themselves. So removing the option to have a character speak was one barrier too many for Alan Patillo. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. Now, years later, uh, in an interview, which uh, you may see in the upcoming Uh, network Blu-ray, previously unseen footage, I say. Uh, Mm -hmm. He maintained that the character was, in his words, unsuccessful. Ouch. So perhaps this is why Marina became less and less involved in episodes 
uh, from later on in the production order. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Alan had so much influence that he just said, I'll just get rid of her. But despite this, and despite Alan's protestations, Marina yeah. still remains a very popular character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, according to some scripts in the Anderson Entertainment Stingray adaptations, uh, she has recently been played by Raquel Welsh, would you believe? Say what? <laughs> no, that's just, that's Nick Briggs's little gag. He puts uh, guest Very stars good. playing Marina in the audio scripts because uh, obviously excellent. they're not really there. Uh, no, well, no, I mean, uh, of course, they're, they're there playing her silently. Uh, but uh, Posterons, what do you think about Marina's silence? Was it a successful part of the Stingray formula or did it slow down the drama? We'd love to know your thoughts. Email us podcast at jerryanson.com or if you're watching the video on YouTube, comment below this very video with your thoughts. Um, that is interesting. And as I've said, that information and more are available in the uh, fantastic Stingray documentary on the upcoming network, Blu-ray, uh, which is called We Are About to Launch Stingray. Obviously, of course it because is. it's about the, you know, <laughs> the genesis of Stingray. It's a fantastic doc, may I add. Chris has done amazing work on that uh, and so much new previously unseen archive material with uh, with people who are no longer with us so yeah worth, worth the price of the disc alone for that yeah I should imagine so uh, yes. but what do you think about mute characters Richard James well now was a reason ever given for her not being able to speak uh, yes, she'd had her uh, ability to speak taken away, I believe, uh, possibly by Titan or some other uh, undersea right. fiend. Was it, is it yeah. an entire race, possibly, that had it taken away? Uh, right. I, I can't remember whether, where it was explained. Again, I'm showing myself up to be um, yeah, Anderson now, Ignoramus once again. If we're... <laughs> and Anderamus. And did, uh, did we ever meet? Uh, did we ever meet others of her of her race? Met her father. Yes, yes. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, and, uh, but and he was able to speak. Well, there was the the audio version, uh, the audio story, the mini album. Marina speaks yeah. where she spoke. Right. 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 Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not a great way, is it, to to forward the narrative having a, having a, a character that can't speak. It's a, I can imagine that you might start off that way, but how interesting and exciting an episode would it be when she regra- regained the power to speak? Absolutely. Or if it was sort of temporary and fleeting. Yes, you know, yes. Yeah, that that's would be right. great. Why didn't they yeah. do that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I can imagine it wouldn't work really well on, on audio. Mind yeah. you, Chris gets away with it. <laughs> he does, he? with all the knocking and squeaking that's and right. steps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, to be fair, the... Um, the audio story that's being put out, the, the kind of new mini album type story that's again on the network Blu-ray set. Um, yeah. We've got Marina in there walking and uh, and being reacted to, but it's it's even more challenging on audio as you might imagine. Absolutely right. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Anyway, there oh, you go. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? We'd love to know. Posterons, email us podcast at jerryanderson.com and make sure you go and pre-order your uh, Stingray Blu-ray set, uh, or you can wait until the 14th of April when it'll be available from the Jerry Anderson store. Up to you. Uh-huh. Anyway, oof, that feels probably uh, a good time for the end of this one, do you think, Dexter? Yeah, go on then. Okay, fine. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's... Silent Fact! Yes, yeah, I actually went oh, silent. I thought you, you were going to go silent there as oh, well, but you messed you it up. Did. So. Oh, curses. That's a good one. Why yeah. did I think of that? Never mind. Okay, over oh. to you. Now, well, we've uh, had a, a bumper post bag this week, of course, from our lovely Podstrons who've been emailing us at uh, podcast.jerryanderson.com. Now, here's a rather technical one from Ian Plowman. Do you remember, I think last week or the week before, we've been talking about where we could get hold of uh, pictures for our wallpapers and screensavers for our oh, various yes. 
computers and phones and so on. Well, Ian says, hi, Richard and Jamie. In response to your listener, Ian Stevens, who asked about Windows wallpaper, you can easily produce these yourself. Just play any video full screen, then press the Windows key plus shift plus S together when you see the image you want. A small box will appear at the top of the screen. Make sure the window snip, third from the left, is selected. The screen will freeze, then press the left mouse anywhere on the screen to save the image. Uh, a snip and sketch window will pop up. You can then save the file. All you need to do is to go to settings, background, image settings, and select your directory you save the file in. If you save a number of images, you can turn shuffle on for a random image. This will work with Windows 10 and 11. Ooh. And that's regards from Ian Plowman. I hope that's all clear. Uh, very clear. Now, are you going to also give us the instructions for uh, Apple Mac users? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's, I mean, let's yes, not do there, that. There, there are various ways of doing it. I suppose the problem is, you know, if you're if you're taking a screenshot from a video, very often the definition isn't great, is it? That's that's the trouble, is what I find. That, that is uh, true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, Phil Steer has been in touch. He'll be very Phil Steer? Now, I think Phil Steer's coming to the uh, Stand By for Action concert. Oh, well, Stand By for Phil Steer, then. Absolutely. Uh, he says, hello, Podmasters and Podstrons. Uh, hello, Phil Steer. I'm sure I won't be the first or the last, says Phil. To respond to the question on the chase regarding the naming of the Tracy oh, brothers. Oh no! Yes, mm-hmm. yes. No. I I knew yeah. when you said this. Yeah. I thought, oh, that's yeah. weird. Um, yeah. But I, I right. Yeah. Oh dear. Are you ready for this? Well, he says. First off, they were named after five of the original seven Mercury astronauts, yes, yeah, which was a single-man right. capsule, not the later Gemini astronauts, yes, which was a two-man right, capsule. Bill. He said, although three of the seven did also fly in Gemini missions, the yeah. five who gave their names to the Tracy brothers are as follows. Malcolm Scott Carpenter from Mercury Atlas 7, Virgil Ivan Gus Grissom, that's uh, from Mercury Redstone 4, Gemini 3, Apollo 1. He was killed, unfortunately, in the launchpad fire. Alan Bartlett Shepard Jr. from Mercury Redstone 3 and Apollo 14. Leroy Gordon, Gordo Cooper Jr. from Mercury Atlas 9, Gemini 5. And John Herschel Glenn Jr., Mercury Atlas 6, Space Shuttle Discovery. Do you think anyone's still listening? Uh, Space Shuttle oh, Discovery. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then he says the two who are not immortalised in this way were Walter Marty Schirrer, or Skirrer Jr., also known as Wally, and... Donald Kent, uh, Deke Slayton. Yeah, I can see right? that um, uh, Wally and uh, Donald, was it? Um, yeah, that's right. Wally and Donald Tracy. <laughs> they somehow yeah. don't sound as heroic as maybe the others, not. do they? Maybe not, maybe not. But I have to put my hand up, really. I think I might have slipped up slightly by saying that it was the uh, Gemini astronauts oh. uh, rather than the... It wasn't the chase. It was you. No, I think it might have been me. I'll have to listen back and see. Anyway, uh, hi, Jamie, Richard, and the randomizer general. Oh, this is from Isle of Wight, Paul Hyde, who says, here, I have an idea for the recording of the live podcast. Instead of getting Richard to sing That Was The News, why don't you get the audience to sing That Was The News, very interesting Jerry Anderson news? I think that will work a treat, and it can then be used on the podcast. P.S. I've enjoyed watching my Space 1999 enhanced Blu-rays. They're brilliant. I think Space 1999 is starting to be my biggest bit of collection, but Thunderbirds is still my biggest one if I look at it. I don't think I can match this yet. As you say, there's more Jerry Anderson stuff coming all the time. See you in Birmingham. There's another one says Paul Hyde from the Isle of Wight. Uh, Isle of Wight, Paul Hyde. Now, I I absolutely agree that uh, the end of this week's Fab Fact, um, which, you know, we can maybe give them the line or just call it a Fab Fact. Uh, Newsy, news, news, news. That was news, that was news. I mean, I think all of that has to be (laughs) audience participation. So if you're going to come to our live podcast recording, uh, details on venue and tickets to be announced very shortly then please practice, you know, follow along each week, make sure you're getting in good voice for it because when we hear it, I want it to be, well, the most incredible choral addition to the Jerry Anderson podcast since it was 
since it was begun, since the beginning of time. May imagine. Wow, that's right. Can't It'd be great to have a roving mic, wouldn't it, too, to get some questions from the audience. Oh, I all think right. I last time. You're causing technical yeah. issues well, now, oh, but yes, right, hopefully. Right, right. hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, Terry from Hereford has been in touch with another public service uh, message saying a countrywide red alert has been declared in the UK till March the 2nd, so hopefully you and the team are safe and sound. Well, thank you, Terry. Hope you are, too. Uh, Stephen Carson. Hi, Jamie and Richard. Thought I'd write to say how much I enjoy the podcast, but... Yes. Yes, how big's his butt? <laughs> I'd like to highlight a couple of things. Firstly, says Stephen, I spotted that Jack Headley had died on the 11th of December 2021 and thought as he had appeared in the Space Precinct double episode The Fire Within, I would bring this to your attention, but also ask if Richard has any comments or recollections from working with him. Secondly, in the recent interview with Sam Clemens, Pod 193, he had no recollection of a time when his dad, Brian, had crossed paths with Jerry. Here we ah, go, yes. Jamie. Yeah. I have had a look, and in fact, Brian wrote four episodes of The Protectors in Series 1 and 2 in Series 2. Keep up the good work, Stephen Carson from Edinburgh. Yes, indeed. Now, I should add, it, just because he wrote on them doesn't necessarily mean that their paths crossed that much at the time. Sure. They yeah. probably did, to be fair. Um, but it's amazing how things like that can happen, where you can end up working on a show or working on a project, and you don't actually don't meet half the people. I mean, you have Absolutely. it all the time, I'm sure, yeah. don't you? Because you're you know, appearing in scenes that are different from yep. other actors, and therefore yep. you never meet them, even though you're in the same show. Well, here's a case in point, Jack Headley, that uh, Stephen oh. mentioned, who, yes, I knew died in December. I don't think I saw him on set. I'm not sure I had any scenes with him. I can't quite remember. A long time ago now, of course. Yeah, of course. Don't really remember talking to him. Uh, I know he was there because uh, John Glenn, our director, had worked on many a Bond movie. And I think Jack Headley was in For Your Eyes Only, I think. Oh, but I might he? be wrong. I might be wrong, but he was certainly in a Bond movie. Now, uh, Rodney J. Kelly. I've got an idea for a Thunderbirds rescue scene. Ah, Ooh, yes, you? this is from uh, last week. I think we were talking about real uh, life uh, locations for Thunderbird rescues. And he says, uh, the idea comes from the 2004 Indian uh, Ocean earthquake and tsunami. This is how would international rescue deal with the disaster with thousands of casualties? The climactic scene is thousands of victims are loaded onto Thunderbird 2. The situation is deteriorating and Scott starts screaming for Virgil to take off. Virgil refuses to, but he was not uh, done loading. Jeff interrupts Scott saying, Virgil knows what he's doing. Thunderbird 2 finally finishes loading and starts thundering down the makeshift runway as structures collapse around it. Before Virgil can get into the air, everything falls on top of the Thunderbird. Just as the dust begins to settle, the mighty transport erupts for the devastation. Virgil keys his mic and declares, we leave no one behind. We are international rescue. Ooh, Just an idea. Classic. And that's Rodney J. Kelly. I need to lie down after that. Yeah, isn't that great? Virgil so, yeah, probably we does too. Absolutely. We were talking about uh, real-life uh, locations for rescues. I think there's a few more coming up a little later on because that's the subject of a quite a good conversation over on our Facebook group. So uh, we'll dip into that a little later. Very good, very good. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, thank there you for your uh, messages, Postrons. We really do appreciate hearing them. Make sure you tweet or email us or do all the things that Richard will say more about later on yeah yeah we'll get there we'll get there yeah. oh dear now this is the ideal time for you to start practicing uh getting into good voice for the live podcast as we go into this week's jerry anderson news Right, Richard, just before you do it, let's just, yes, just yes. do you want to just run a very short little vocal warm up? Is it a me, me, right. me, 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 or a brrr? Okay, everybody, that's right, yes, yes. Uh, just uh, slide up and down your range with, with like this. Very good. Yeah. And just loosen everything out, that's it. Give yourself a shake. Yeah. And ready, after me, 
news and news, news, news. Oh, very good. Very I just missed the start of it, but I, I think the positrons are pretty well there. Uh, so, course. yes, that'll be uh, the intro to the section for the live podcast. Uh, but now nice. this is the Jerry Anderson News. And uh, so let's begin with the concert. Stand by for action, Jerry Anderson, Jerry Anderson in concert. You may have seen some uh, rather uh, interesting footage, or maybe not interesting to you, uh, from a, a visit I made to Birmingham a couple of weeks ago, uh, focusing heavily on the sound uh, yes. and uh, John, John Blundell's uh, involvement in the shows because of the Birmingham connection there with uh, John and Jean ah. Taylor, the old Taylor yep. Holic Studios. Uh, I went there and uh, I went to the, the concert hall and we, it was just a lovely lovely day, a lovely few hours spent with some models and puppets up there. Um, John Colshaw is hosting. It's going to be amazing. The last few VIP tickets are available. It really is the last few. I think yes, it was I saw. three yes. or four at the mm-hmm. last time I had a look. Uh, right. So if you do want to come along to that meet and greet where you will get a copy of the programme, which otherwise you'll have to buy uh, if you want a copy when you come to the concert, You'll have to get. You'll get a uh, limited edition print, one of two randomly assigned, uh, which uh-huh. will never be created again. Nice. And you get a little meet and greet and a little kind of mingle and soiree. Um, <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. you don't laugh. Very you're swish. coming to it. You're one. You're one of the hey? people there uh, with John Colshaw, Richard Harvey, Crispin Morell, Nick Briggs, Wayne <gasps> Forrester, Richard James, Chris Dale, uh, me. Wow. Sorry about that. Lee Sullivan, uh-huh. uh, and there may Great. be some others too. And you'll get to mingle with us for sort of. Half an hour, 45 minutes, have a chat, get some pictures, talk about the concert, talk about anything you want to talk about. So, um, nice. yeah, there, there were only 100 tickets available, and I think it's down to the last three. So join 97 wow. other uh, Amber fans and uh, come and meet us and have a nice time before the concert. What, what am I going to wear for that? Uh, well, hopefully more than your officer are in underpants. <laughs> Would that be okay? All right, then. Okay, fine. Well, now, look, now we're talking about uh, the 16th of April, which is the concert day. Yes. I should say that is the day we're going to do the live podcast, obviously, which will be around uh-huh. 2 o'clock, all being well. Uh, okay. Final details and tickets to be announced. There will also be, I believe, another very special screening uh, on the afternoon of the 16th. More to be discussed there. Now, of course, the night before, on the 15th of April, we've got like the... Q&A hosted by John Colshaw uh, and the screening of Jerry Anderson and Life Uncharted at the Electric in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. At the time we're recording, there are two seats left there. What? It's pretty much sold out. Um, wow. We will have a way for you to win two tickets if you've missed out. Uh, okay, good. Details on that very, very soon. So, goodness me, that is going to be a great, fun, busy weekend. Isn't it? Yes. If you're looking to attend the preview screening, the, uh, the world premiere of Jerry Anderson and Life Uncharted at the BFI, then uh, mark your mark your calendars now. Tickets go on sale on the BFI website from 11.30am this week, this Thursday, the 3rd of March. Right. We anticipate they'll probably sell out pretty quickly, so um, make sure you're stood by and ready to grab tickets. It's quite a decent capacity screen, though, NFT1 at the, B- the BFI, so yeah. um, you know you should be in with a good chance. And also yeah. we will um, have some opportunities for you to win tickets as well later on. Lovely. And this, is, this is all around Jerry Anderson Day and stuff, so it's very exciting. I'm really yeah, pleased it's it? all coming together. Yeah. Uh, if you're more more minded uh, on merch, then we've got a brand new T-shirt range featuring uh, various logos from Thunderbirds and Space 1999 and UFO, all the iconic emblems, the International Rescue Symbol and um, the Moonbase Alpha logo and the Shadow logo on a range of tees which are out today. 
Uh, a reminder to Terrorhawks fans and those who just like to scare people around them that the full head Zelda mask <laughs> is shipping. Uh, I've got mine right behind me. It's brilliant. Yeah. And uh, one of my favourite things to do right now is go on to Zoom meetings with the camera off uh, and then turn the camera on once I've got my Zelda mask on and terrify everyone I'm talking to. Um, Great. Very professional, as you can imagine. Uh, we've also got a brand new range of badges on the way, courtesy of designer Marcus Stamps, uh, Thunderbirds 1-4. to four. Oh, I know, I, wo- woe is me, uh, say Thunderbird 5 fans, I know. No Thunderbird 5 variant currently, but there may Uh-oh. be. But you see, there's, it's interesting for Thunderbirds, there's always this kind of clamour of, oh, poor old Thunderbird 5, always forgotten. But the stuff with Thunderbird 5 on just doesn't seem to sell as well. It's oh, right, really okay. peculiar. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we just can't, can't make the Thunderbird Fire stuff if it then just sort of sits in the warehouse and, no, and doesn't go anywhere, That's which right. is really sad because yeah. I love Thunderbird 5. Anyway, yeah, if yeah. you're desperate for a Thunderbird 5 badge to go onto this set, then let us know. It'll be out later this week. For audio to round off this week's news, Big Finish have been busily putting out Anderson stuff. Space 1999 Earthbound is out now. Um, the further adventures of the crew of Moonbase Alpha. Uh, and you're really starting to see the different dynamics that uh, Big Finish have set up between the characters, perhaps some characters staying longer than you might expect, others leaving sooner than you might expect, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, Only way to find out is to uh, get the download or the CD version from bigfinish.com, or the CD version will be available from the Jerry Anderson store very, very soon, probably later this week or early next week. And Big Finish have released the digital version of Monster from the Deep. That's the latest Stingray outing. The CD and hardback book will follow very, very soon uh, from the Jerry Anderson store. But if you can't wait, or if you're more of a digital person, then go to bigfinish.com and uh, you can get your latest helping of a Stingray adventure. Mm. Wow. (sighs) Take a breather. Yeah, knackered now. Um, I think that's it. There's probably some more stuff, but I think that's quite enough for this week. So that is the end. Are you ready? For this week's... Stand by. Jerry Anderson News. That was the news. Very tiring news. Now, I wonder how many Podstrons sang very tiring news or they just went with that yeah, was the news. There might be one, might be one or two. You never mm, know. That is not averages. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, you are listening, of course, to the Jerry Anderson podcast. Please do, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Subscribe to us. Or whichever <laughs> That's platform a word. you're listening to us on. Yeah, leave us a nice rating or a review to let us know how we're doing. And why not copy the link to all your socials uh, so your friends get to listen too. Now, over on our Facebook group, that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podsterons. <laughs> well remembered. Uh, people have been discussing all manner of things. As Steve Perisford says, for example, watching Dear John on Forces TV and this reference pops up. Because he's a goody-goody teacher, this guy's squeaky clean. He makes Joe 90 look sleazy. Nice. <laughs> Uh, Tom Riley uh, asked this question. Who out of the Andiverse would you have narrate your life? I'm going to say Wayne Forrester, as his narrations of the books is superb. Tom Hodden says, well, John Coleshaw. His readings for the BBC Doctor Who range are excellent, not just for the voices he gives characters. His narration is nuanced and always pitch perfect with a favourite uncle twinkle in his eye. Um, Yes, Ian Stevens says, Brian, bless it for me. Uh, Paul G says he'd like his life to be narrated by the hood. His eyes could light up at the disastrous bits of my life. 
now, we were talking about real-life, uh, potentially real-life locations for Thunderbird rescues. Robert Monk suggests the Dartford Tunnel, the QE2 bridge. Uh, bridge closed and collapses in high winds, blocking cars and people in the tunnels. Earl Black suggests a rescue from Eastbourne, where no one escapes from. Andre says disaster in the Channel Tunnel seems an obvious one to me. Maybe Thunderbird 4 guides the especially waterproofed mole down to the seabed in the middle of the channel and it starts drilling from there. Simon Allen says, how about rescuing a charity fundraiser from a bath of baked beans? Oh, not that again. <laughs> what could he mean? Alex Patrick says, having heard this week's fab fact, I think having a rescue take place at a real-life landmark is the only way you could justify making a live-action Thunderbirds film. It's quite interesting, isn't it? It is. Mm. I also asked, what themes uh, are people looking forward to most to hearing at the uh, standby for action in Birmingham on, on April 16th? And Gary says, uh, if I had been going, I would love to have heard the stirring Thunderbirds march. And also from Barry Gray themes and music from Space 1999 and UFO and a theme by Crispin Mer- Merrill, a favourite space precinct maybe. Next time for me, to all who are going though, have a fab evening's entertainment. Willow says, I'm going. I'm looking forward to Fireball and Thunderbirds. Joe Harwood says, I can hardly wait for Space 1999 to be blind out. Andrew Hyde says March of the Oysters would be epic to hear live as would the Terror Hawks theme given the orchestral treatment. Also something from Thunderbirds and Fireball would be nice too. Steve says controversial but maybe Space Precinct as I've never heard it live before. Oh and Marina sings Secret Service Unwinnie's style. <laughs> Brilliant. That'll, work, couldn't it? That'll definitely uh, and, happen. Yeah Paul Hyder from China says I'm stoked to hear Candy and Andy's theme. <laughs> well, we might. We might. It would sort of be a twisted Jaws type theme, I suggest, <laughs> if that was right, Candy it and Andy. It's not happening. No. Oh, fair enough. You heard it here first. <laughs> and finally, while we're on the subject of music, Jamie. Uh, yes, sir. And it's about that time of the podcast where I present you with Tom Hodden's Quickfire 5. Oh, is it? Oh, look, I've just got to go and attend to something very it's important elsewhere. It's time for this week's I... musical round of Quickfire 5. Okay. <laughs> Right, number one, are you ready for these? Take a choice between Space 1999, Operatic Orchestra, or Wah-Wah Guitar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> orchestra. orchestra. Oh, Thunderbirds. This episode, Fireflash Music, or the Thunderbirds March. Oh, the March. Come on, Got man. Got to be. Stingray, Anything Can Happen, or Aquamarina? Anything Can Happen. Oh, okay. Funkiest no theme tune, UFO, or Terrorhawks? Oh, what? Funkiest? Come on, it's easy. Yeah. Funkiest? Yeah, well, that's it's got to be. It's got the funk, but Terrorhawks is cool. Right, now for an obscure one for your final question, mm. Jamie. A choice between The Shadows or Jeff Love and his orchestra. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, well, if you were going to say, uh, is it Jeff Wayne from ELO? I would have gone for that. <laughs> But, no, well, um, now you're mixing. Now you're mixing up your Jeff. I know. I was. I was hoping for a different Jeff. Um, Is that, well, that's Jeff Lynn from Yellow. Jeff, Jeff Wayne wrote War of the Worlds. I, yes. no, now I am really mixing things up. So I would have gone for Jeff Lynn, <laughs> but Jeff Wayne is, is out of the picture. Um, yes. So, so Jeff Love or the Shadows? The Shadows. He's <laughs> got it. Really. Uh, that's but, this week's. Uh, <laughs> This week's Quick Five Five oh, from dear. Tom Hodden. Thanks once again, Tom. Uh, Thanks, again, Tom. you can all uh, uh, look at all Tom's books. He's got various uh, books for sale on Amazon. Just uh, type in T.E. Hodden uh, into Google and uh, I'm sure you'll see them there. Yes, but yeah. not all of his books are around... Um, as bad as his... <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, exactly. His Quick Five Fives. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Great. Uh, so a little later on, we'll be heading on over to Twitter and YouTube uh, to see what people have been saying there. Some of it's quite polite. 
polite, <laughs> polite is the best we can get that we're not doing that well. Okay. Well, all right. Well, I, I look forward to those polite uh, things later on. Uh, should we turn over to Sam Clemens? I feel like we should. Oh, I think really. we should, yes. Yeah, okay, fine. Well, uh, Sam Clemens, as you all know, son of the legendary Brian Clemens, Mr. Avengers, and many other mm-hmm. things, and also Mr. Four Episodes of Protectors, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> That's right. That's, there was a real feather in his cap. Uh, yes. Not. Um, anyway, Sam is a, an actor and director and writer in his own right, and also a lovely human being and director of our uh, audio stories, including uh, Monster from the Deep and Operation Icecap, the two Stingray stories, and uh, ooh, uh, uh, Peril in Peru and Terror from the Stars, our two Thunderbird stories, and some other stuff that's coming up. He's been a very busy boy, and yet like. he's still found time to talk to me and all, listen to all my nonsense. Uh, <laughs> so in return, I listen to his smart stuff. So here's part two of Sam Clemens and his smart stuff if you're watching that 90s stuff i'm just interested from your perspective how thunderbirds sits in or sat in at the time with he-man and thundercats and whatever else you're watching you know did was there any set i mean i suppose you were already being exposed to things which at that point were 30 years old because of your your dad's work but did you have any perception of this being somehow other in time no i think do you know what probably not until getting close to to being a teenager i should think i would have probably i i think the thing is what i did notice and and i think it's something that we associate maybe maybe our generation and maybe in, in uh, the later generation not as much but because they're shot on film film gives a sense of of grandeur and, yeah. and also age in a way um that that now you know, everything's shot, not everything, but most things are shot digitally. So it's yeah. a um, look. But for us, everything was that had some quality. All I'm going to say is quality was definitely film. Yeah. Like when you had that ter- the terrible shows and, you know, Dad had quite a few where you had like the exterior 16 mil, interior, some video. Disgusting. Uh, I mean, yeah. but like a very, you know, I understand the, the budgetary constraints. Of, of course. You could feel that it was it just felt cheaper but um mm. and, and and so when i would watch thunderbirds at that point i always associated it with something that was grand and big and sort of like you know almost like an american movie you know it didn't yeah. feel like uh you know a, a cheap piece of um, entertainment it felt yeah. really like this is awesome and this is you know the scope is 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 huge and like just the the iconography of all the characters and 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 you know the the, the costumes and the, and Tracy Island and just you know there was so much that you know I think whether you know it or not I think most people know Thunderbirds I can't I, I, if I say Thunderbirds to anyone I, I've never met anyone that has no perception of what Thunderbirds is and I think that that yeah. that tells you pretty much everything you need to know about the series is that just how how wide uh, how wide a scope it has um, yeah. And a little, not maybe not so much with the Avengers, but sometimes with that as well. Like people, might, they 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 understand the the woman in the in the cat suit or the bowler <laughs> hat and the umbrella. That's, that may be about as far as it goes with the Avengers. But I think um, yeah, Thunderbirds is is it's got way more uh, longevity in a way because it it's its own world and it can continue, you know, because of the technology. I think there is a yeah, yeah. there's a, a natural timelessness that's derived yeah. from well from supermarination, I guess, and the fact that it is this completely different self-contained universe but yeah it just sort of sits oddly in time and that's like that's weird because it meant that i guess in the 90s and even 2000s that 
it could be re-shown as if it was uh, a new current thing and, and picked up new audiences, including you. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I used to, uh, you know, watch lots of um, uh, old uh, MGM movies and things and that, that Technicolor era and, uh, and you know, um, CinemaScope and all that sort of uh, period of filmmaking. Um, and I felt, I don't know why, but the, the, the Thunderbird sort of slotted in because it was just felt so, it, I think that's it, is it felt so cinematic. It didn't feel mm. like a TV show. It felt like, a, like a, an hour-long movie. Yeah. And that's why I think they're so engaging is that there wasn't much television. And I think that's, again, that's probably why the Avengers um, sold to the States is because it was shot on film and they were like, they were like mini films. And and now obviously that's what, what is, you know, the industry is sort of, you know, 10 hour films or 12 hour films basically. Um, But that really wasn't the case back then. It was, this is is much more serial. Whereas this was like, you know, little movies and they were so, and they and they also had a beginning, middle, and an end, and you didn't need to have watched every episode before yeah. to enjoy it. And I think that that maybe of the period of writing as well of doing that to mm. keep engaging the audience. But I think there is something in that that you can work. You know, the story continues all the way through, but you can pick up any episode and not feel like you know it, it, it's an elitist piece in the sense that I have to have had to watch it from the first episode. For yeah. Its- it's more welcoming, isn't it, in a strange yeah. way? Yeah, because I feel like um, people with Marvel. I mean, I love the Marvel movies, and I'm a big fan. But like, you know, where, if you if you if you don't see something, do you feel you're missing out? Like something or a storyline that's happening there, and you know, then do people go, "I can't be bothered." You know, I think it it can alienate people as well. I think uh, some of these things. Yeah, there's a bit of a kind of diminishing returns in audience thing, isn't there? Because if you haven't seen one then do you see the next one no i haven't seen that and then yeah you you kind of get down to something like i guess loki where there are so many references to everything that's come before and think i feel like i'm not getting this so uh whereas yeah you're right you can just as a kid sit down in front of one episode of thunderbirds you understand the setup they save the world they all tell a bad joke and laugh at the end yeah and that's it done done yeah (laughs) It's great. It, it, you know, totally in, in the best way, it does what it says on the tin and it does it really well. Absolutely. You know? That's what, you know, I think it's a, it, uh, what, you know, your dad did so well was understanding the audience and understanding what, what was, what was wanted and what was needed and what was popular. And I think that's why they, you know, there's so many different, um, you know, series that he created. Mm. Uh, UFO on the, for you know, recently is just that, that going back to that, like, and watching that now as an adult is a completely different experience. And I remember sort of catching, I'm sure, an episode or, or so when I was younger and just seeing it and it being so, like, like, like the, it sounds weird, but an, at the adult version of Thunderbirds, you know, in a way, sort of like but the well, updated version. They all, they all shared the DNA of yeah. secret organisation, you know, a paternal figure under pressure. They're all, the, they're all there, you know, the fantastic machines, the heroes doing the right thing and that sort of stuff. It's yeah, it's pretty consistent. It's not, into- it's not characters, yeah. It's not characters yeah. that work, you know. And they, and they, you know, and that's why we love them is because we recognise them. And you know, I always think it's interesting that lots, not maybe now, maybe now not so much, but I, I always think that kids' experience into film or into this into this world is usually Disney. Yeah, you know, it's usually some form of you know whether it's uh, uh, the Lion King, which, which you know sort of Hamlet, isn't it? Um, they're, but they're, they're 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 sort of similar archetypes um, and story types that that we we we've got 
got used to but we start with those ones and we we they just get more complex and as we get as we get older and we want more complex versions of the same story really yeah um <clears throat> concepts never stop being popular or, or working i would say which is the perfect time to what you've been doing recently i reckon so you you have been the in sole charge direct direction wise of our recent foray into full cast audiobooks for thunderbirds and stingray how has that been for you sam well i mean i think super audio nation is it <laughs> when, when, when you came up with that I was like oh my why did we not think of that earlier that is incredible um well firstly i mean i know it's this you know uh, it's a huge privilege uh, to be asked to do it and i feel really really humble uh, i really mean it to, to be asked to do it um, oh, bless you and uh, you know, uh, huge hats off uh, to you and thank you to you, sir, for for allowing me to do it. Um, because it's sort of it's in, enabled me to sort of you know in my spare time go and watch Thunderbirds. <laughs> and, uh, it's a great think, excuse. No, 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 darling, no, this is work. I'm uh, I'm watching this. We will be watching three episodes of this right now. Um, so from that perspective, uh, it's been it's been a delight, and it, it and and it. It does remind me bizarrely of my dad in that period. Yeah. It's it's sort of so again, sure. it's got it's got a nostalgic feel to the period and and, and mm. people that have gone that are no longer with us that were friends of our family as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't know why it does, but it just does. It, it, it it's a huge nostalgia trip for me. And so when when doing it, I just wanted to be um, and I think we 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 all sort of discussed it being as authentic as possible um mm. to the original iteration of Thunderbirds, which yes. That was that was a lot of fun to do because it's 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 the I suppose it's when we discuss with the actors is vocally, um, for example, making sure the American was pronounced even if it was slightly wrong by today's standards, it's correct by the sixties version. Yeah, yeah. And that <clears throat> and, and being on top of that was so much fun. It just it because you really felt we're creating something. Back in a in a time capsule, we're, yeah. we're, we're doing a, it's almost like doing a historical piece. <laughs> it is, yes, period yeah. puppet drama on all. Yeah, it really is, and, <clears throat> and, and and the level of performance that you can you can get away with because you know when when I when I watch them, the, the you know all the the vocal work in it is is quite extraordinary, and it really because the puppets not that they don't have as much expression, but because there is a lack of it, yeah, the voice has to do most of the storytelling. So that lends itself perfectly to to the audio drama. I think mm. you just you know, and when you when you cast someone you know like John Colshaw, the, the captain in person, <laughs> and it's so interesting working with him. And I, I was just saying earlier to Jamie before we jumped on this that I, it was the first time I got to meet him recently. We did a, a Thunderbirds uh, um, uh, in the studio, and I got to meet him and Genevieve, who yes. I've directed a variety of times now, all on clean feed. I've never met them. Um, <laughs> Flesh, and it was just so nice. But talking to to him particularly was interesting because obviously he, you know, he's famous for being an impersonator. That you get to take an impersonation, but you not not doing it for just comedic value anymore. No, but now doing it as as a character, you're yeah. you're able to make it your own and be as authentic to your to your childhood dreams of wanting to be parker or or just <laughs> yes. and 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 just living that and you know when he does the the brigadier for a big finish as oh, well Oh, i know i love john's brigadier i've yeah. done a couple with him and it's just oh 
But yeah. you get you get the same feeling, right? Well, I get the same feeling with his uh Jeff and with uh with Genevieve's Lady Penelope and with Justin Scott. I mean, all of them, there's like a warm, nostalgic kind of buzz you get when you hear them, especially some moments, some little notes, some little ways of saying phrases or ending sentences, which obviously you're bringing out them. So hats off to you for that, which just make you go, oh, that's that's Thunderbirds, that's Jeff, that's whoever. So it's quite quite the skill to bring that together between you and the cast. I mean, the, the thing is, I think that, that what's lovely is that everyone involved is a huge fan. And I really, I have to say, I couldn't do this without Andrew, Andrew Clements. I mean, yeah, he AC is, is brilliant. I mean, you know, we call him the thunder expert. Um, <laughs> and, you know, whenever, and, and I, I, I obviously give him full reign to jump in at any moment if there is something that isn't, you know, as specific because he really does know. Oh, yeah. Every, I mean, you'll probably know the nuts and bolts that are made, you know, to, <laughs> to put them together. Um, and, and that's really helpful, though, because, you know, I, I just I, I approach each one of them. It's a bit like I feel like this a little bit with Doctor Who, but I, I had a bit more. I had a lot more exposure, I think, to Thunderbirds and Stingray than I did, let's say, Doctor Who. Because yeah. Doctor Who, I was in that I was in that era where it was the wilderness years. Yes. So uh, Sylvester McCoy had just finished and I probably was at the age where I would have got into it and then it was off TV. So I never really, I didn't have a doctor in essence, uh, like lots of generations would. And how I approach Doctor Who when I'm directing is I just look at the story to begin with and try and, you know, the story is king and everything else um, is, 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 you know, uh, secondary to that we've got to make sure that the story is clear yeah uh, and and fun and it's the same with this is i always look at what is the story what are we telling and what do we want and andrew can always jump in if there is something that we are maybe missing uh, yeah. as, as specific that we need it which is uh, honestly i can't, I can't uh, and ben ben page as well um you know yep. they're just just remarkable um uh assets to 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 doing these these recordings um but i think the one thing about working with the actors is that I try and direct the way that I would like to work as, or I like to work as an actor, which is having the freedom to fail and not feel like an idiot. Yes. Work with so many people and so many directors that make you feel stupid or make you feel tense about trying something or, or, you know, or then being reprimanded if it's not good or, or, you know, and so you, you go more into your shell and you, and you might not get something as, fun or extraordinary and sometimes you know it goes too far but you can always bring it back <laughs> yes. you can always bring it, bring it back so, and and what's lovely about working with everyone and thunderbirds is that and stingray as well is that they do have free reign to sort of you know try things and if and i always say you know if you if you want another take or you feel like you want you want to try something just let's do it we're here we're not going to be here again so let's just do it and let's see if it works and if it works then it's then it's great and um so so many of those bits of nuances is, is, is I think, really down to them. But mm. the only thing I can say is I'm hoping I'm, <clears throat> I've made the space safe enough for them to feel that they can try something and, and you know, be as, as wild and wacky or as, as, as restrained as they want to be in, in a certain moment. Yeah. Well, very much in the vein of um, International Rescue, you know, this sort of very collaborative effort to, to for the best outcome and i think you can really hear it now i've i've got a feeling that i know the answer but who amongst the cast particularly of thunderbirds let's let's start with thunderbirds it is the the most wacky gives the most strange suggestions and has perhaps surprised you the most with their uh their bonkersness oh gosh 
Oh. I mean, this is an accolade. I'm not asking you to throw anywhere yeah, under the yeah. bus. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, I think, uh, I mean, I suppose the the, <laughs> the wackiest, probably Wayne. I knew I mean, it would be, I mean, it would be Forrester. Wayne, <laughs> I, Wayne does little adverts, like little commercial bits. Yes. Middle, like, get your free action comb now. And he'll do this in the middle. And I'm like, we should just take those as a complete little bit because they're so funny he's so witty and i, I you, it, it feels like so directing wayne and mark silk yes you know troy tempest they are like sometimes directing actual cartoons yes <laughs> and um and uh, like you're like uh is, is wayne here now or is it phones or who is it what's going on or is it is it is it brains um and that's sort of you know that's quite infectious uh with everyone yeah and there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, banter in character as well. That obviously oh, I'm sure. It doesn't make doesn't make the uh, the cut. Um, no, quite right like too. To to. Um, <laughs> Genevieve is hilarious, and like I think her portrayal of, uh, of um, Lady Penelope is just oh, is spot on. And she really works so hard at it. She really wants it to be <clears throat> perfect, and she yeah. you know, she spends a lot of time doing it, and she comes incredibly prepared. Yes. Um, and you know, Justin, <clears throat> it's just a you know revelation that he can just do <laughs> all all these characters, and he has to keep jumping back and forth. And yes, you know, and and the, I think the one actually it's interesting. The one that that you would think might be easiest is I think the hardest is John. Yeah, is getting, getting John, uh, and he, I'm sure he would agree, is is getting the tone of that is uh, difficult because sometimes you go, oh, now you're sounding a bit more like Scott. So yeah. you just got to, or, or, but you can't go too far, otherwise it becomes total caricature. So it's yeah. just bringing it back and forth. But you know, very rarely do I have to say anything to him with the hood or with, Kira, oh, you know. Yeah, no. Which, just which, Justin's the hood is I I love it because it's it could be lifted in time in the series. I mean, again, you know, I, it's not to to try to sort of you know perfect impersonation as the pinnacle because it's not about that really. It's mm-hmm. it's about the sort of sense of character and the you know bits of intonation and warmth and concern and the intensity of someone like like Scott, which I think Justin does so beautifully. But that that hood for me uh is what one of my favorites, but they did such a great job. Just just touching on Stingray then as well, you know, is it does it feel kind of very similar in in style and grouping? I mean you've got a different cast, Wayne carrying across, obviously. Um, well, Wayne is the constant, isn't he, from both yes. and 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 uh... And I'd say the one thing I'd say before I just jump into that is that, that what what is nice is that when we started, I think we really, really wanted to be as, you know, we were sort of tiptoe, not tiptoe, but we were being very careful, gentle, right? As, as as authentic as we can. But now we've done a few. I I feel that those actors have have now taken those characters as their own because I think they've been given permission to do that within the 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 the, the parameters of what they've created and and. Yeah. And they're making them their own, which I think is a lovely thing. And um, and like for example, uh, having Anna uh, as uh, Tintin, you know, she yes. is doing a slightly different version of it, which I think is great, and that gives it a sort of fresh, modern quality to it, which um, is different about it, and there's a, a good reason to listen to it. But yeah, yeah with with Stingray, yeah, it does. It, I mean, they're two very different recording days. They feel they feel quite different. Um, yes, I they can feel imagine. Much in the same world, it's just you know. Um, and again, uh, with 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 Stingray, I've not I've not met anyone, you know, yet. It's all been down the line. So uh, you know, it, it, it's sort of like a cacophony of of voices over clean feed, and uh, 
trying, trying to wrangle the cartoon characters into some form of a let's let's let's, let's do the scene. Yes, easily just listen to them all day. I mean, obviously, Mark Silk being the voice of Johnny Bravo and Shaggy and Scooby Doo is just you know, and then when he throws some of those in occasionally, you know, you can't help it. You know, the child in you is unlocked even further. But I think the thing is that the the cast that you've assembled are so good, and there's very little that I I need to do is sort of is just let them let them loose let them loose a little bit yeah. and, then, and then rein them back in. But I think they're so well cast. Um, I mean, Jules the Younger's got such a she's perfect um, as, as Atlanta. Just just you know, I just yeah. yeah. Just you know, she's so. done an amazing job there. Well, you've done an amazing job with her, but she there's there's just again those little kind of lilts at the end of sentences when yeah, she's being yeah. a bit uh, a bit sarky or joking or whatever. It's I, yeah, I just love it. And it's I, I tell you, it's been lovely though because um, you know when I started directing, I, I I hadn't ever got round to directing Nick, and I was like ah. God, weird because like. You know he's 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 the the boss of Big Finish, and I've I, I've I've worked with him the other way, where he's directed me many a time. So yeah. you know, don't, don't mess it up, Sam. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, feel the pressure. And then I've I've directed him quite a few times now in Callum uh, when he was in Callum, and so by the and 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 various Dalek um, stories that we've done. Yep. Um, and Cybermen, and so I sort of felt when I came to Stingray, I kind of that was good because it put me in a good place to because this is. Uh, you know, this is quite a, a, a different um, foray for him, I should think, tonally as well as an actor. Um, but again, his Commander Shaw is just brilliant. It's just, you know, it's really, it's really fun. Yeah. It's the right, you know, quality. He's got the he's got the right weight to play it. And and you know, it's it's so. I don't mean that like physically. I mean like. You know, well, I do. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Nick. Uh, I didn't say you're fat. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I, I did. But I see. I love his. I love Nick's Titan. But I mean, that they they are all great. And Wayne's X Two Zero. Oh, he's um, great. So so on it. Yeah. Yeah, because he did a, a Peter Laurie type character, a little robot that we cast for um, the Quantum Possibility Engine as a, a Doctor Who Sylvester story, where he was just doing this ridiculous, over the top Peter Laurie robot. So I knew instantly that is like, okay, you are X Two Zero. Yeah. Yeah. He's so good at that. I mean, yeah. so many outtakes that. But yeah, and yeah, and, and Nick's um, Titan is. I was saying to to Nick today that because we're, we're we're looking at the um the, the new release and and Nick is, you know, he's like three or four characters in this one. Yeah. Um, he's the bad guy as well. He's the other bad guy, and it's just <laughs> he has scenes with himself, and he really does. And I think that's a testament to to, to Nick as well as a performer. As uh, whenever I'm talking to actors that are playing two characters, I'm like, imagine you're in a scene with yourself. And you have to sound completely different. Yeah, that's that's the, that's that's the key. Is you've yeah. got to get. It sounds like two different people, and he really does. And it's just yeah. you know, it's it's fantastic. So yeah, he's, he's and it was so much fun to work with him. Again, you know, um, I've had to do. We've had. To, I think this was the last one. We had to do him in isolation. So I, it was just him on his own with yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> all these characters, which amazing, cool. and they slotted really nicely. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing how it all comes together. Uh, we, we should also just give a, a quick uh, tip of the hat to uh, Toby doing the sound design, uh, Benji and Joe Kramer's music, which yeah. sounds so Barry Gray-esque and beautiful across the two the two series. I mean, yeah, everyone's doing a magic job. 
I mean, yeah, like obviously Toby, I've I've known as a, an engineer more than than a sound designer. Yes. And I know he does a variety of things because obviously we go to Moat Studios and then COVID hit, he's been doing more sound design. And when he said, oh, I found out he was going to do this, I was really excited to sort of work with him because I've not seen him for ages, obviously, or, or, or spoken to him. And the first, that first FX edit that I got through of the first Thunderbirds, mm. uh, Terror from the Stars, it just blew my mind. I was like, this yeah. is like the detail and this uh, you what's interesting is you always know where you are in lots of these audio adaptations like when there's action i think sometimes you can get lost as to where we know what's happening because we've got the script in front of us but if you take the script away and just go does, does that make sense to someone just yeah just on the audio alone and it really does with with uh toby's work and it's just remarkable and then obviously when joe i mean the fact you've got joe kramer to do it it's just you know hollywood composer joe kramer i mean yes yeah, I and know. So, it's very it, cool. It's super cool. And it, it, again, it, yeah, it feels like he has just written, he, he just transported himself back to that period <laughs> and just nicked, nicked some stuff from Barry Gray and just went, right, I'm just... Well, but borrowed, borrowed, <laughs> so let's borrowed, say. Borrowed, <laughs> um, but it just sounded to- totally authentic. It's so yeah. good. It, it, it brings it, the, you know, those elements are so, so intrinsic to making the whole thing work. I mean, particularly... Um, sound, because there's so much sound design along with Wayne's narration. I mean, yeah. enormous amounts. So, yeah. really, you know, so it's a huge job for Toby and Benji. I mean, I you know, I adore Benji, and working with him um, is always hilarious and a delight. And again, yeah. he's an aficionado in so many different areas as well. And I think again, he's probably, I think he's younger than me, and I'm, I find that absolutely amazing. Really, that there's you know, yeah. You know, I don't know why we think that, but there's there's you know younger people that are really interested in in series that our dads created and other other create you know yeah. series from the sixties and earlier and the seventies and I'm really appreciating it and and preferring it to lots of modern television, which is sort yeah. of you know quite extraordinary, really. And it I think is. I'm it sure is. all of the creators who are no longer with us would be incredibly humbled that there are people out there that you know are flying the flag very high still for those series and those creators absolutely i love that sentiment um sam if if someone is listening to this right now and they haven't tried the audios yet and maybe they're sitting on the fence about giving them a go what would you say to convince them to give it a try how will they feel when they step into this new audio world of thunderbirds because i think there's a bit of reluctance because it's you know the visuals are so strong it's all about the visual i love the look of the craft and love the explosions i love the design and this is only in my ears so how are they gonna how is it gonna make them feel there was a, a friend of mine uh listened to who's a huge thunderbirds uh fan like huge uh has all the books from this yeah. watched all the shows yeah and he said i felt like i was that child again listening to it he goes it is so authentically correct and so immersive and i just i i i felt like a little boy again um, nice okay and i and, and i suppose that that was the greatest review yeah. that i've seen for it or heard for it because that's what we were aiming for is that someone that was a huge fan that they didn't feel that we were misrepresenting the series or not or not doing it justice yeah. <clears throat> uh, but i think that it really does Unlike not like, but it really does more than anything that I've I've been involved with. You feel like this was made back in the sixties, <laughs> yes. In, but with all this incredible design, and also if you're missing the visuals, if you know if you know all the sound effects, which you will, and yeah. the thing you won't realize that you know them that well. 
because yeah. you watch so many of them. But it's like, you know, anything that's popular, like, you know, I mean, I'm picking the lightsaber, but everyone knows the lightsaber sound. But the moment yeah. you hear, you you know where you are. And and that excitement is built with you. I think sound is, is a sensory um, device that brings you right back to uh, periods like smell. Smell and sound can, you, you hear a 100%. song and you go, Oh my god, I'm 15 and I'm at that concert, or whatever. Yes, yes. The, 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 the sound of of Thunderbird 2 or of the, the launching in or Tracy Island, um, you know, you know, there's so many different pieces of, of sound design in this that you could mention that are, are quite iconic. But I think the yeah. moment you hear one of them, you will go, right, I'm back in. And I, I think yeah. that's the reason to to if you're on the fence, at least give it a go. I yeah. mean get off the fence. Get off the uh, fence. <clears throat> No, yeah, it's it's about two or what? <laughs> yeah. It's like an audio time travel device. It is um, absolutely, absolutely. The, the audio that also generates, but it does, you know, it generates those images. I'm a, I could just hear the sort of vertical landing rockets of Thunderbird two firing, and it's just such a, I don't know, it's such an identifiable sound that I can't imagine the sound without imagining the visuals that go along, and I think that's the that's the key and the beauty of of what audio could do for you. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam, you've you've been brilliant to chat to, and you're doing an amazing job on the audio. So please continue doing it. Uh, there's there's lots more to do, and things that we can't yet talk about, which have already been recorded and are going to be recorded soon. So uh, stand by for more action, I guess. If people want to find you online, Sam, where can they do so? Not in a stalkery way. Not in a stalkery way. Well, um, I suppose on on Instagram, it's uh, Sam J T Clemens. And on uh, Twitter, it's at Josh Twain, which are my middle name is Joshua Twain. Brilliant. Related to Mark Twain, apparently. Uh, <laughs> and who knew that would be cool when Google came along and then your name is completely swamped by Mark Twain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, or, or um, uh, um, my website is uh, samclemens.co.uk and my uh, film company is TakeTheShotFilms.com. Uh, um, which we're developing lots of my dad's um, material through. You can actually see a trailer that we shot for, um, which we're using um, at the moment to get uh, dad's play Strictly Murder off the ground into a feature film. Uh, it's called On the Amazing. But you can see that on our YouTube channel on Take the Shot Films. And um, and you can see me, we're doing, well, there's a short that we did recently called um, A Bad Day to Propose, which was part of the Straight Eight Film Festival where you have a, uh, and we won that festival, but we have a different cut of the movie we shot it on 16 mil as well as 8 mil and we're releasing nice. that on um uh on uh on valentine's day and we, Amazing. we're using a virtual production all the screen technology that they're using the mandalorian ah, awesome so, uh yeah so if, it, if it, there will be a premiere date of that on the 14th of um of february okay brilliant well in that case we'll have to make sure we get this out as soon as possible <laughs> yeah. or listen to it watch it retrospectively yeah, yeah or watch it. that's brilliant sam thank you so yeah posterons go there go and watch the trailer at the release and uh follow sam online not in a stalky way and tell him what you think of the thunderbirds and stingray audios yes, I'm sure. yeah, i um, love i love getting uh yeah and, and genevieve and john always uh retweet everything about it so it's great yeah, yeah. might get a comment from them Fantastic. All right, Sam. Sam, thanks for your time. Brilliant chatting to you. And uh, hopefully I'll see you in the flesh soon. Because yeah. Are you doing so the, the virtual the concert thing? Um, yes. So uh, that's where that's in Birmingham, is it? Right? Birmingham, Birmingham Symphony Hall, 16th of April. And obviously I hope you'll join us as our guest. I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, by the time this comes out, John will have been announced as the host. So 
amazing. So we'll get John doing live with an orchestra, the orchestral stabs, and John's doing his Jeff doing five, four. four. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Genevieve going to do it as well? Because she was mentioning uh, maybe doing something as well. So Gen- Genevieve's doing a play, so she can't do it. <gasps> no. However, she is appearing, um, you know, um, by pre-record. So. Oh. Brilliant stuff from Sam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I told you it was smart stuff. You did, yes. So uh, if you want to go to Sam's official website, go to taketheshotfilms.com or you can follow him on Twitter at Josh Twain. Now, he mentioned on there something which was released a few weeks ago uh, for Valentine's Day, um, which is his fantastic little short, uh, which was shot uh, all through virtual production. It's amazingly done. Really beautiful oh, stuff. Uh, right. So but you can go and find that at taketheshotfilms.com. I think it's called A Bad Day to Propose. <laughs> um, nice. Very worth a watch there. Really lovely stuff and making use of uh, of old technology and new uh, in perfect combination. So great. Thank you, Sam. Very uh, that's the end of that one. What have you got right. for me since I've given you that lovely interview with Sam Clemens? Hey, well, I thought I would head on over to Twitter very quickly because someone else has taken me to task about the old Mercury Gemini debacle. Uh, Lost in transition says, ah! Geek, is that spelled A-R-R-G-H-H? Yeah, you pronounce that correctly. Uh, he says, yeah, uh, geek mode kicked in when Richard mentioned the question on the chase. The Thunderbird boys were not, capital letters, named after Gemini astronauts, but after Project Mercury, capital letters, astronauts. And yes, the other two were Wally Shearer and Deke Slayton. Also, Jamie was totally correct in saying that Ed White was a Gemini astronaut. He was, in fact, the first American spacewalker. I was driving when I heard this. I was gripping my steering wheel with grim (laughs) determination. But now I'm parked. I'm posting this. Geek mode off now. Carry on. (laughs) All right. Let let that be the last of it. I slipped up. I made a mistake. You know, I was trying to be helpful and interesting by making a note of something that I saw on the chase. Lesson learned. I'll never do it again. Yeah, lesson learned. Best not to talk. No, quite. That's quite right, yeah. <laughs> For fear of saying something wrong. There we are. Uh, over on YouTube, uh, people have been very excited with the uh, first uh, part of the interview with Sam Clements in pod 193, Jamie. Quite right, too. Ian Dealey, yeah, says, Great to hear the sons of two legends on this week's podcast. I can't wait to listen to part two of Jamie's interview with Samuel Clements and hear his own wonderful memories of Jerry Anderson. Uh, My Cat's Dead says, Wow, he does sound like his dad. Very good interview. Uh, Keith Gooch has sent us uh, a nice little review saying another great episode of the Jerry Anderson podcast with all the usual cheeky banter between Richard and Jamie. Cheeky. Aberdeen rather, yes, uninspiring fab facts about unfilmed Thunderbirds rescues. Uh, an interesting interview with Samuel Clements talking about his dad, Brian. Surprised that neither Samuel or Jamie knew that Brian did have a connection with Jerry, having written several sep- episodes of The Protectors. Yes, yes, yes. Though given Jamie's fondness or lack of it for that show, maybe I shouldn't be surprised. He says, however, the episode was enlivened, well, as ever, by Chris Dale returning to form with his randomizer review, which this week was of the supercar episode Crash Landing. Chris had me in fits with his impressions and thoughts on poor little Jimmy Gibson. Keep up the good work, chaps. And finally, for now, Adventures in a Subaru Outback posted The question about the astronauts should be that they were named after Mercury pilots, not Gemini. Yes, I think right. we probably okay. established that, yeah. that we made an error there. Yeah. But yeah. of course, you know so, what's going to happen now. People will Lord. listen to that episode in like three months or three years' time. Oh, yes. And we're still going to get messages about it. <laughs> That's it's there right. forever. And it's all now. my fault. Yeah. Oh, I messed up big time. That'll teach me. Well, I should have corrected <sighs> you. So we're, you know. No, well, there we are. We're both, both in the naughty stuff. corner. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there we are. But do get in touch with us in all the usual ways. Send in your emails to podcast at jerryanderson.com. You can hashtag us Jerry Anderson Podcast over on Twitter and tag me, Richard and James. Him over there, I'm Jamie Anderson. And him over there, oh, it looks like he's finished his rather large... Uh, Spectrum monitor screen. Over yes, there. That's a beautiful oval Darling. shape, isn't it? Lovely, beautiful, yeah. Yes, and comment on our YouTube channel and so on. And if I see it, I'll read it out next time. Yes. Now, yeah. uh, Chris is beckoning us over. Oh, is he? Do you oh. know what he's done? What's he done now? Well, he's tried to gazump the BFI here by doing a very special <gasps> preview screening oh. of Jerry Anderson Life Uncharted for you, me, and him. Oh. He's got the popcorn ready. Look, he's wearing Great. one of those things with the little tray of ice cream. Oh, he's got a little torch as well to show us to our oh, seats. Oh, Chris, is very sweet. I've got some bad news, though. That, uh, that skirt's a bit short. <laughs> oh, yes? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, unexpected. Don't bend over. Oh, God. Uh, he's just picking up the popcorn he dropped. Oh, I see. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. the um, the doc's not quite ready yet, Chris, so we can't watch it. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh, he looks cross. Oh, oh. we we'll just put an episode of Space Precinct on. That, there you go. Oh, okay. You've, yeah. I think you've just yeah. saved it. Sorted. But obviously, we'll have to wait and see what the randomizer is. I suppose we could watch the randomizer on the big screen. Okay, yeah, I'll be up for that. Yeah, okay. Let's watch Space Precinct. Well, we don't know what it is yet. So, to find out what it is this week, let's hand over to Chris for this week's randomizer. I hope it's Space Precinct. Uh, Yes, uh, it sure is beautiful. And you say it's um, down here that the water mambas live? Mambas? Oh, no, 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 the randomizer. You see, I hid it in this underwater cave. You never know who might try to snatch it these days, but I can't remember which one. You've shown me over 20 underwater caves, and we haven't seen one by now. Well, yes, but if we don't find it, we won't be able to watch an episode today. I guess I wouldn't break my heart with disappointment if I didn't see one. No, but some of our listeners might. Aha! I think I recognize that pile of rocks. And voila! One slightly dusty randomizer. Oh, that's great news. There's just one thing that baffles me. Oh, what's that? I just can't figure what you do with Oh, well, it's very simple. You just put your finger on the button here and... Yeah, see? Now, that's what I call real enterprising. Every component checked and double-checked. Well, in theory, not so much in practice. Right, let's see what we have to... Ah, okay. Well, we're taking a trip back in time today. Who do I have to thank for that? Only the crew of Fireball XL5. Here's 1875. Yeah, good. So, welcome back to Fireball XL5 on the randomizer with 1875, not 1975 as I mistakenly named it when I was setting up the file. Anyway, we are now outside Professor Matic's laboratory. Inside he's got Robert helping him. Not Spanner, you 2D robot! Well, that's not going very well. Outside is uh, one of several guest characters for this uh, episode. Need to blow your top! Goodness, Robert. Uh... Oh, Robert's dead. Then okay in there, Professor. Who is it? It's Sergeant Mahoney. Uh, you know me, I'm a fairly well-established Fireball XL5 character who's only going to appear in this one episode. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Bit of oil in... Uh, Penetrating oil will soon put you right. Robert's neck, that's going to that's gonna fix everything. Oh, and it has. 
Yep, Robert's up. Professor, are you okay, Professor? Of course I'm okay. Who are you again? Banner. Hmm, yeah, some kind of security guard who's um, dressed in the uniform of an XL um, ship officer. There doesn't seem to be much difference to the standard uniform, except for it probably was a different colour. It looks like a different shade of grey. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay, so Robert's dropped that on uh, Matt's foot. Meanwhile, over at Venus's beach house... Well, I've put Matic's dinner in the atom oven, but I don't think he'll turn up now. He seems to Not if I'm offering him food from the atom oven. That doesn't sound safe. He's so fond of his food, as a rule. And the XL5 crew, Commander Zero and Zuni, are uh, sitting around eating... He won't tell us a thing. I don't know, it looks like some kind of fruit. Very special. So they know that something unusual is going on with Matt... Don't know what, because he won't tell anybody, as usual. True. Dead on schedule. And this episode was, uh, oddly enough, the um, previous episode to the previous XL5 we saw on um, the very first podcast of 2022, I believe. That was the Robot Freighter Mystery. This one was uh, the episode immediately prior, which is just one of those odd glitches of the randomizer that occurs sometimes. And, of course, I've just waffled all over the big reveal of what Matt was building. He was building a time machine. Robert! As you do. And Robert, it won't hurt a bit. Yes. You should be honoured. I'm going to transport you back in time. Because I'm sure sending a highly sophisticated robot who's prone to violent fits of rage into the past will, uh, will go quite well. Yeah, of course Robert obeys because uh, what else is he going to do? It's his lot in life. How far back shall we go? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, this so this is so safe, isn't it? We're going to risk destroying the space-time continuum by um, sending this this advanced robot back to 1875. Because Professor Matic has always had a hankering for the old West, which he's never mentioned before or since. He's built a time machine. I can't get over this. It's just, it's one of, in, in the Anderson universe, it's simple. You just decide to build a time machine and, oh, I, I've built a time machine as well, Professor. And I, I tell you, once you build it, you forget all about the fact that you've ever built it. You never use it again after that, oh, one episode. Oh, gee, it works, it works, it works. Well... All that's happened is Robert's disappeared. You could have built a disintegrator and destroyed him. But, uh, yes, Matt sounds very happy about all this. And here is why I suspect this episode exists. We are now in the Old West. There are some familiar um, streets here and some familiar horses. So I suspect that this episode only exists to make one last bit of use of the Four Feather Falls props, puppet horses, and um, streets. There's not too much on the street that's immediately identifiable, but you can see uh, a couple of wanted signs up for one Pedro the Bandit. So yeah, I suspect this episode was just written to accommodate all this stuff that was just lying around in the uh, the prop department. And here we are in the... Uh... Sheriff around here. Can I get a cup of coffee when I ask for it? Oh. Um... I don't know who that was. Oh yeah, that's the deputy sheriff. 
Sorry, he wasn't speaking on camera, so I got confused. But this is funny. Having been thrown back into the past. He's heard someone order coffee and he's immediately gone to get it. And he's just been rewarded with uh, lots of shots for his trouble from the deputy sheriff. Getting him back, I guess. Hmm. So now, I mean, no explanation of how any of this is uh, is being worked. Needless to say, you know, this is Fireball XL5. Science and Fireball XL5 are, are not closely acquainted. Oh, the deputy sheriff has locked himself in the cell. Well, poor old Robert is just approaching him with this um, this coffee jug. I've locked the door. But yeah, the recall or whatever it is on the time machine has worked. Thirty-two time and son of a ghost made Robert disappear before the deputy sheriff's eyes, and it's pulled him back to 2062. It works. Still holding the coffee pot, which Matt is going to take as um, proof that his time machine works. Well, how about taking a look at what Professor Maddox up to? Good idea, Commander. I'm kind of curious, too. Do you think he'll mind? Well, we've left him pretty much alone since we got back from patrol. I guess it's time to find out what he's up to. Mm. I'll get the hover car. Here's the key to my workshop. Now, nobody's to go in there till I'm ready to demonstrate my new invention. Understand? It's finished, then? It's finished. I, I would love it if something had changed in the familiar world of XL5 following Robert being sent into the past and pulled back and nobody commented on it. Interplanetary Patents Commissioner. Yeah. Because they're just... They're taking their reality in their hands with this thing. It's incredible. Your new invention. He won't have wasted a journey. No, 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 no. Don't. Oh yes, and there's a commissioner from some I don't know what coming to look at the uh, the time machine. Understand? Okay, Professor. Yeah. Of course, Matt hasn't told anybody else yet what he's done. His only witness to this thing being a success is Robert. Boy, sure am tired. Who um just has several shots to his casing to show for for his adventure. It would have been great fun to have had a whole episode of of Robert. In the western town. Oh, So Matt's in bed aboard XL5. Fast asleep, having evidently fallen asleep while reading. Robert is just sat on a chair next to him, reading a book. Good morning. Give me that. This sweet. It's an order. It'll be okay, Lieutenant. Don't worry. I won't let Zero hurt you again. The key, Lieutenant, if you please. Okay, Commander. But I don't know what the Professor will say. Well, I suppose we could check with him, Commander, but uh, no, I propose to just blunder in there and have a look for ourselves. No one, no one used to touch. No, oh, he's even dreaming about it because it's that important. So that's what all the mystery's about. Uh, what do you make of it, Steve? Well, let's take a look inside. Let's do that. Hmm. It looks like an artificial gravity test rig. Again, I would love it if Matt had built like the ultimate disintegrator booth because Steve Venus and Zero have just wandered straight in there. Look, an antique coffee pot. <laughs> no, that's a bomb. Don't say after all this trouble that Matt is slyly making another coffee machine. I'll be out of a job. 
Oh, and of course they brought Zuni along. Oh dear, look at Zuni. I must stop him. He's probably going to get us into some scrape or other, but I don't care. <laughs> yep, he's pressing every button he can, or including the door control. Zuni, the door. Open the door. <laughs> no, he never, he never mastered that one. Understand. Yes, this is our three of our brave, brainy heroes just wander into a... Isn't there a way out of this confounded contraption? An experimental machine of which they know not what it does. Guess we're stuck here until the morning. Oh, if you live that long. He causes more trouble around here! Again, just... It's just such a, a testament to their stupidity that they would just wander into this thing. Of course, it's still set to 1875. And away they go! This is fun. What's happening? We get this um, shot of just... And we've got no thruster packs. The three of them passing through space. We can't see them. It's just a star field going past. And my clothes. They're different. And they're commenting on what's happened to them. Are you here? What in tarnation is going on? <laughs> my uniform, it's gone. It reminds me a bit of... The, I think there's a similar scene in uh, the Daleks' master plan when... Um, Stephen and Sarah and the Doctor are, are beamed away to... Oh, I don't know what planet it was. But, um, yep, they're gone. Professor! Professor! Wake up! 90's gone to see Matt on XL5. Robert seems to have dropped his book. Venus and Commander Zero! They went into your workshop. Oh, did they go into my new high-tech de-atomizer disintegrator booth? I gave them the key. Oh, no! Oh, don't tell me! Well, it's hard to believe, but you see, they've just vanished! Oh, no. Well, they left the door open as well. But, of course, the culprit is still on the scene. Crying, Zuni. Things are bad enough as they are. It's all your fault, Lieutenant. You had no right to let anyone. Not even Steve or Commander Zero have the key to this workshop. Oh, they gave him an order. Oh, you're still here, are you? I was only obeying orders. Yeah, leave him alone. Yeah, okay. And here we have another scene where David Graham is, I think, playing every character. I'm positive. Matt and Ninety and Zuni and the uh, security guard. Charges, petty larceny. Uh oh. Can you get them back, Professor? Oh. Because having sent his owners and friends back in time Robert Beck to 1875, Zuni just adjusted the time machine dial. Bearing in mind he, he has already messed up and already been told off for it. Down with the dials. And he's just fiddled with the dials again in front of their very eyes, and they didn't notice. Because even Matt and Ninety are wallies. And here we are, back in uh, ye old western town. Horse town. Yeah. A bank. Yes, I'm sure those are horses from Four Feather Falls. If nothing else, I mean the the town has got to be, but if nothing else, these these horses are definitely Four Feather Falls ones. Because even though I don't think you see them from the front, possibly, but they do have that same derpy look that the uh, Four Feather Falls horses had. And this is interesting as well. Um, I'm not aware of time travel stories that have done this elsewhere. There must be more. But nothing springing to mind at the moment where characters have been sent back in time and rather than remaining themselves, they've taken on the appearance and personalities of someone who would live in that time to the extent that they don't 
remember who they were originally. Which, um... Well, that's some strange music there. Sheriff, ain't we... Yep, Steve is just, uh... Yes, sir! ...taking the sheriff's job. I hope you stick around longer than all them other sheriffs. <laughs> well, if anyone does take a shot at me, I reckon you'll be able to... Yes, there's a whole list of uh, former sheriffs on the door, all of whom presumably have met some kind of sticky end. He ain't. I mean, he isn't. Yeah, Steve's taking the role of the sheriff, and Venus is Frenchie Lil, and Zero is... Um, is he still called Zero? Regardless, they're a pair of uh, outlaws. Which kind of begs the question, why, when Robert was sent back to the past, nothing happened to him? He didn't... Well, I don't know, end up just as a pile of spare parts or, or something. I suppose you could make the argument that Robert is not a, a living being, he doesn't have a soul, but that's a very sad argument, and I uh, I don't want to dwell on it. Oh. So, Frenchy Lil and Zero are sneaking up on the... No one there, except our old four-legged friend yonder. Oh, they're, yeah, they're hiding at the edge of the street, just within Steve's peripheral field of view, but... Sheriff! Uh, there ain't no trouble around. He's taking to the role of sheriff with the same aplomb that he took to the role of space captain. And all those names on the door. Just plain bored to death. <laughs> and certainly not shot. Yeah, some of this music is reused from Supercar as well. Breath box, Mr. Deputy Dodgem. Yeah, how about it, Deputy? Well, I'll play him a latest song. It's the same song I was playing at the start of the episode. Weirdest flower ever seen. Yeah, this is a, a tune that was composed specifically for this episode. I'm not sure this ever appears again anywhere else. It's got a nice plodding melody to it. And of course it's... Uh, giving Zero and Frenchie Lil the opportunity to... What are they doing? Oh, they're robbing the bank. Oh, lucky for them, nobody seems to be at the bank today. Nobody else seems to live in this town, except for the deputy sheriff and that other guy. Is that other guy the owner of the bank? It's only just about one person could bust open my safe. Oh, you are the owner of the bank. Okay. Frenchie Lil. A woman? woman bandit ever there was. And right, so he's already aware of Frenchie Lil, which is the identity that Venus has taken, so... Cheater. Have they done a quantum leap thing here? Have they leapt into the bodies of existing people? Because that doesn't track with what we actually see, and yet Frenchie Lil is already known to the bank guy. Used to, but I heard... I would have to assume that if they haven't quantum leaped, into those bodies, then they've changed history. Seem to know that name. I don't know. Even worse than just just turning up. That girl sure is dynamite. Oh, that's it! Whoa, that was a fairly big explosion on the puppet set. It knocked zero over. Even a harmonica playing couldn't uh, cover the sound of that bank explosion. But that's it. They're in. Zero and yeah, no, zero's out. So it's down to Venus to take all the money. Here comes Sheriff Steve. And Doc, who runs the bank. And the Deputy Sheriff. And, yeah, Venus just waited behind the door with her pistol drawn, walked out on them. That book must have knocked him cold. 
It always was, Debbie Reading. <laughs> ah, Zero got hit in the head by an encyclopedia. Frenchy Lil. Frenchy Lil. Where's the dodoc? Where's the dodo? I said share. Oh, dodoc. All right. Someone I knew once. Yeah, before we turned reality itself into a pretzel. Yeah, Doc, by the way, has dropped his pipe onto a huge pile of dynamite. I believe that is an important plot point. I left the machine dial was set for 1875. And then we let this useless space monkey in the room, and I don't know what the hell's going on. The question is, was it altered before or after they entered the time machine? It was altered right in front of your eyes, but none of you noticed. Zoom could tell us. <laughs> You've got to get them back, Professor. You've got to. I I'm doing my best. But remember, one false move, and I could possibly lose them in time forever. Now, I think we should assume they didn't alter the setting. Now, let's see. 1875. Right, so Zuni setting the clock to 1066 was entirely pointless because it never comes into the story. Okay. She's different somehow. Say that once again and I'll have to plug you. Hmm. Yep, Venus has got them all locked up in the in a jail cell. It's interesting seeing them uh, in different roles like this. It does make me wonder if... She uh, Lil never misses out on a deal. If this is sort of meant to imply that they would have been these people had they lived in this time. Anyway, Zero is now up. It's going to go look for Frenchy Lil. I think. It's got to work. It's just got to. Oh, he did it. There's a lot of that um, redundant dialogue this week. So the time machine is now active. Real soon. Look Who's out. it going to recall first? Oh. oh, Zero slugged Venus. Oh, it's all going something. So long, Zodiac. So long, pretty Frenchy Lil. Ah, so Zero's making off with the money. While Venus is unconscious on the floor. Double crossing. Oh, that zero sure is double dealer. How do we get out of here, Sheriff? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> yep, first day on the job and he's already locked in his own jail cell. Um, it was, what, the first 15 minutes on the job. So Zero's making your way on horseback. And now they've got the time machine very slowly springing into life. Again, no mention of sending back Robert to find anybody, just with orders. Any ideas for getting out? Like he did earlier. Oh, fellas. I only wish I knew. Oh, and he's gone. He's been beamed away by the time machine. Not again. I can't stand it. So that leaves Deputy Sheriff and Doc. will all be gone. Locked in the cell. Venus is still on the floor outside. Ah, uh, familiar Four Feather Falls background rocks. Oh, Zero has also been recalled by the time machine. With this smoke right now. Oh, my pipe. I left it in the bank. On top of that dynamite. Yeah. Well, Steve and Zero are back. So we've recovered all the useful people. Back home. And you too, sir, of course, Commander. <laughs> oh. It's like a bad dream, but I remember she got slugged by Zero. Me? Did I do that? I'm afraid so, Commander. 
But what's happened to her? So he remembers the past, even though he wasn't himself. He hasn't come back. Try increasing the power. It could burst the machine. We'll have to take a chance on that, Professor. Yeah, we're coming up on an odd ending here because of the way they use the time machine. But you've got to get her back. Increasing power um, in order to recover Venus because she's unconscious. I'm not quite sure how that works. She won't take much more. Ooh. Well, best shut it off. Do we, do we really need Venus? I'm sure we could get by without Venus. Um, and anyway, she's already a known um, outlaw in 1875, so some might argue she was always meant to uh, to be sent there. So, what do they call it? Predestination paradox. She'll blow up! Uh, yes, the dynamite is burning away. Time is running out. Um... I'm not, I'm not particularly invested here. You've probably picked that up by now, but I don't really... <laughs> I don't really care whether they recover Venus or not. Oh, there's the dynamite, and... Whoa! They blew that bank to bits. That's... That's what I was afraid of. Well, maybe they've wrecked the time machine. But there's Venus in the booth. Yay! This is it, a gentleman. And two more visitors outside. We've broken Maddox's machine. Oh, well, he can build another one. Down. It doesn't take long, and it's very easy, apparently, to build a time machine. The two gentlemen from the patent office to see the professors. The two gentlemen from the patent office who were already supposedly on their way. Yes, sir. Turn out to be the deputy sheriff and Doc. So, I don't know what you're going to want to make of that ending. I guess... By increasing the power, they also pulled those guys out of 1875 and pulled them forward to our time. Where they assumed the identities of already existing people? I have no idea. I have no idea what that ending is supposed to be about. I, I suspect, yeah, they've just um, broken the space-time continuum with that ending. Anyway, that was Fireball XL5 1875, and yeah, I've got to say, I've um, I've never been a huge fan of this one. I get the idea of, yeah, let's reuse the Four Feather Falls um, stuff, that's great. But, you know, Four Feather Falls was a bigger, more, more immersive world than that just one street and a couple of guys. It's... You know, you, you think Fireball XL5 doing a Western. Okay, great, but um, they don't really do much with the idea, nor the time machine. So time travel and Western should have been a classic, but unfortunately, at least to me, 1875 doesn't really quite come together, unfortunately. Oh. So not quite Space Precinct being no. Fireball XL5. No, uh, it's the other end of the spectrum, really. It, it really is. Well, speaking of other ends of spectrums, uh, yes. and therefore time and time travel, <laughs> right. if you yeah. could be accidentally uh, taken somewhere else in time, where would it be, right. Richard James? Oh, I've got to give a really boring actor's reply to this. Oh, come on, then. Well, I would go to Shakespeare's Globe. Would you? On the South Bank, the original building. Would you? Because I would love to be there. Imagine this, at the first performance of Hamlet. Because I would, I want to know, what did people think? Did they watch that and think, this is the most mind-blowing piece of theatre I've ever seen? Or was it just another play? 
did they know they were in the presence of something that's going to last yeah. and, and inspire Pro- probably not. 400 years? No, exactly. I bet there will have been some moaners in the audience going, oh, no, I'm not a fan of this at all. It's uh, no. very wordy, <laughs> isn't right. it? I mean, come on. Yeah. Just kill him. Get on with it. <laughs> exactly. Takes so long making your mind up. Oh, he's so self-indulgent, yeah. that bloke. Bloody hell. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Where would you go? Uh, uh, well, not there. Um, no. I mean, uh, uh, that's no offence to uh, Shakespeare. No. Uh, but I, I want to I want to go further ahead. I want to see what, what's going to happen. I want to see what happens oh, beyond no. our lifespans. Oh, no, no, no. Yes, yes, really? yes. Really? How far? Yes. How far are you talking? Like, middle mm. of next week? Or you say beyond <laughs> our lifespans? I mean, who knows? <laughs> yes, who does know? No, I'm thinking sort of maybe 250, 300 years' time. Oh. Oh, yeah. Not too far. Oh, I'm not talking to the you know the heat death yeah. of the universe in billions yes, of years, yes. but that would just be depressing. Yeah, no, I'm, I just want to see where things go. I mean, because if they're bad, then you know at least we're not there. And if they're good, then how amazing and exciting. So yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Anyway, this got a bit philosophical, hasn't it? it if only I can rather. say that. Very unlike us, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so uh, enough philosophy. Yes. More end of podcast, I think. Oh, yes, of course, yes. yes. So, yes, thanks, Chris. Uh, and very lovely to watch XL5 on the big oval screen there. Um, yeah, wasn't it lovely? Yeah, he'll be back next week, as will we, for pod 195 of the Jerry Anderson podcast. Crikey. Gosh, we're closing in on 200 very fast indeed. Uh, do email us with your thoughts, questions and sound files for Pod 200. We'd love to oh, hear them nice. and yeah. them out. Podcast at yeah. GerryAnderson.com. Uh, rate us, leave us a review, subscribe and do tweet us. Hashtag GerryAndersonPodcast and uh, you can include me, I'm Jamie Anderson, him, Richard and James or him over there who's still in that skirt uh, rather uncomfortably yeah. for all of us, uh, Chris Dalek. Um, yeah. That's the end of this one. Shall we go and try and encourage Chris to put some trousers on? I really think we ought to. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah, wish us luck, Podstrons. Bye. Bye for now. Chris, no, come here. Come here. We can run fast in that skirt. Stage one complete. Let's go. Oh dear. Was that a bit cruel? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know. Not... Oh, yeah, I think he enjoys it, doesn't he? What, wearing the skirt? Yes. Yeah. You can tell he's got that glint in his eye. App- apparently so, yes. <laughs> anyway, well, well uh, we'll be off to do the Jerry Hansen can-can shortly. Uh, it feels appropriate. <laughs> uh, anyway, speaking of which, have you ever been in drag, Richard James? Well, you know I have. I played Lady Penelope in my time and Aquamarina. Well, that's not drag, though. That's performance. Well, oh, I, I mean? see. I you mean, mean actually a drag? You mean like a drag queen, like I, a character? Either as a drag queen no. or just for fun? Well, no. I mean, I've dressed as you know, I've I've played women, but um, yeah. which 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 is fun. So I've done it for fun. Who was your favourite woman sort of to play? Favourite woman to play? <laughs> I think it was David Williams or Volante. Oh, was it really? Yeah, she was okay. great. Yeah, she was a monster. Uh, well, that, I can see why you enjoyed uh, and you playing it. 
You must have a beehive wig somewhere in the wardrobe. <laughs> nice little secret number. One of many. Yes. No, I mean, uh, I don't think so. Oh. It's, I, it's rather disappointing, isn't it? I'm sure. It I'm well. sure. Oh, actually, I tell you what, I've got a great photo of me in my uh, mother's swimming costume. When I was seven years old, I should ha- add, when I was seven. I should have okay. said that beforehand. It's not a yeah, recent okay. thing. All right. Um, well, listen, if yeah. we get enough emails to yes. podcast at jerryanderson.com imploring us to show that photograph on the Facebook group, then we'll do it. Okay, let's hope no. But we're talking double figures at least. Uh, right? At least... At least double figures. Yeah, well, I, I dug it up for the for the documentary, one of many kind of, uh, you know, archive family pictures. <laughs> Great. And um, it hasn't been used so far, but let's let's see what the response is. <laughs> I think we know very well what the response is going I'm to be. I'm just heading off to turn off that email address to make sure nothing works. Anyway, <laughs> uh, have, have a right lovely then. week. Yes, and you, and see you next time. See you next time. Goodbye. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.